Alive and Kicking with Claire McKenna on News Talk. You can email the show alive and kicking at newstalk.com or find me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Claire McKenna Presents. Coming up this morning, international rugby player and A&E doctor Claire McLaughlin on managing injury and avoiding burnout. The new spa treatments being designed with cancer patients in mind and Dr. Sarah Murphy on what we all need to know about women's health. So what kind of a health and wellness week did I have? I had the most incredible 24 hours in Cork this week. It's a gorgeous city. I love it. I was invited for the launch of spa treatments in Hayfield Manor. So I jumped at the chance. More of that later. And while I was there, I also went to meet up with a group of people in Middleton who are hosting Ukrainian families. I made a connection a while back with an amazing woman, Karen O'Donoghue. I interviewed her when I was on Virgin Media about growing your own veg. She was working with GIY at the time and she just really stayed in my mind as someone with infectious energy. So she contacted me again recently to say that she had taken in a couple of Ukrainian families and she had some concerns for hosts and for families around the country and wanted to get some sort of nationwide connection or conversation going so that we can make sure that both people coming from Ukraine were okay and that the host families who were taking them in were okay and being supported. She had questions like, What if someone isn't okay where they've been placed? Who do they contact? How do families cope with the extra cost on their food and utilities bills? It was just the step on from that initial jerk reaction that so many people had to say, okay, we need to help, let's open our doors. But then when that sort of settles in some way, you're left with questions and it's important that we all start to come together and make sure that everything is being coordinated properly. And... She wanted my help to sort of get that message out in in the media and community involvement is going to be key in ensuring that anyone who comes to this country, particularly seeking refuge, is fully integrated. I think we all know many mistakes were made within direct provision, which still hasn't come to an end. We can't keep people in a bubble thinking it's fine if they're safe, in inverted commas. It's not good enough. So anyway... I went to Middleton to meet a group who have set up a shop. Karen was there. Uh, There was an empty shop in a shopping centre and a group of women got it from the landlord for free. Free rent, insurance was sponsored and people donated everything from clothes to toiletries, baby equipment. And it meant that families could come and get a shopping experience as opposed to being handed a black bag, albeit well-meaning. And it's become a hub now for people to share information about English classes, school places, jobs, dance classes. And I got to meet some of the people involved. It was so special. I bang on a lot on this show about the importance of human connection for our well-being. And I saw it and I felt it in action this week. I was welcomed with open arms. I heard stories of the journey from Ukraine, the magic offerings of people from putting up washing lines to packing starter boxes for families in nearby Trebalgan to bikes being fixed for free to be passed on to children. There is so much more good in this world than there is bad. 
And afterwards we went for a coffee and an incredible sandwich, it has to be said, in a cafe called Monty's in Middleton. Apparently it's won an award for their toasted sambo. Anyway, that wasn't the best bit. The best bit was me and three women chatting over our lunch, laughing and telling stories of our lives. Two volunteers from the hub and one lady from Ukraine. Uh, so to Grania, to Kerry and to Elaine, um, a massive hello. We're all the same in so many ways and that just filled me up this week. And I know there are other shops like this around the country and so many people are doing so much. And the message is that everybody can do something. You might not feel like you you can host a family. Maybe you're not in a position to do so. But even the smallest thing can make the biggest difference. This is an amazing little country full of gorgeous people. You can email the show aliveandkicking at newstalk.com. But now, as I mentioned, I was in Hayfield Manor in Cork on Monday night for the launch of the treatment range by Ground Wellbeing in spas across the country. Peggy Crowley was on the show previously talking about the brand which aims to help people bring the ritual of self-care home. A trained therapist herself, Peggy worked with Rachel O'Malley and the team at the Boutique Spa at Hayfield Manor to create a range of treatments encompassing the power of touch, aromatherapy and emphasise the importance of taking time to rest and digest. I got to catch up with both Rachel and Peggy while I was there. Here's how I got on. Uh, so Peggy Crowley, ground well-being is now available in spas. Was this always part of the master plan? Because this is where you began as a, as a therapist before you, you, you branched into spa design and your own brand. Yes, um, I'm 25 years and holistic therapist. So treatments and the power of touch have always been central to my work, whether that's being a space I'm designing for Adair Manor, for clients to have a customer journey to surrender into, or whether it's treatments I've designed and concepts and private label products to, to do. But Ground really was born during COVID to help people with anxiety and sleep issues when they were at home in their own homes and just showing them techniques and rituals to help them establish rest in their bodies in the evenings and bring on and invite the most deepest restorative sleep. And really, once spas start, once we had a roadmap for spas to, to reopen, is when I picked up the phone to Rachel, who has won three awards as, as the award-winning therapist in Ireland three years in a row, which is kind of unheard of. So she'd be a friend of mine in Cork. And I picked up the phone to her and deep in lockdown, I gave her a letter headed um, essential worker. And she'd come out to my house and we would have spent days developing treatments that match the ground ethos. And once spas started reopening, Hayfield was one of our first partners. So we've had a year now of working and developing new treatments um, for menopause, for insomnia, for anxiety in the gut. And most recently, Tanya and Rachel, who are the the leaders in the spa here, veteran therapists, they've designed, inspired by ground and ground products, they've designed their own treatment called Kuram and Felonia. And it's just really, it's a really stunning um, well-being treatment, inclusive for all. I had it here myself this morning and I think it's really hard to relax sometimes. I mean, like you said, it's really important for us to take time to make ritual at home, be it a bath, be it a bam before bed, 
marking the end of the busyness and, and into the wind down. But sometimes it's essential to nearly come somewhere. I know it's a privilege and, and lucky to be able to do so, but to come to a space that's designed to help you relax and have a treatment to help you relax. But even in that, even driving here, I'm thinking, and maybe I could do an hour's work and, and maybe I could do this and maybe I could do that. And I did really notice with your treatment this morning, it started with forcing me to ground myself with breath work. And the therapist read a whole piece about me surrendering and allowing myself to be held. It's a very different treatment to one I've had before. Of course, there was massage in it that I have had before, oils, but there was a different slant to it that really helped me to relax. Yeah, with with ground, we know that our mind speaks English and we can we must give ourselves permission to relax and we must mantra into it and almost surrender into it by our minds and by how we talk to ourselves. But the deeper connection is that our bodies, and Rachel will talk to you about the the talking to our bodies. Our body doesn't speak English, but our body speaks breath work. It, it knows it's safe and can rest and digest when you breathe deep into your belly. Um, by soaking your feet in bath salts, you're grounding yourself. It's a fast track into all the organs and systems and it's moving it into rest and digest, which is this beautiful healing state you, you begin to move into while you're having a massage. And then there's the essential oils speak our body's language. The very plant essences have messages to help us sedate and reduce anxiety in our mind. And all of these elements speak our body's language and and the design of the treatment is so thoughtful that Tanya and Rachel have put together the elements that people have struggled with during COVID being at their desks and being looking at the four walls. So it's a really thoughtful, purposeful well-being treatment for both men and women. Well, Rachel O'Malley is also with us. Rachel, you work here in the boutique spa in Hayfield Manor. So what was important to you in designing these treatments? The most important thing really was that it was going to be customizable and that it would be tailored to all. So within all of the ground treatments that I worked on with Pegine and also with this one here, there is a framework in which there are signatures that make it a ground wellbeing treatment, that make it a Hayfield Manor treatment. Um, and they're quite important. That would include, like Pegine has mentioned, the breath work, the um, longer repetitions of moves, the slower pace and flow of this treatment, all of which are very conscious, they were consciously designed to slow down everything from the heart rate to the breathing to the, you know, soothing the nerve endings. All of the little details that are in it that might seem minute are done with such a purpose and such a, a mindful reason behind why they're in that treatment. So even you mentioning the breath work at the start of it, the foot soak, so, the, I mean, in terms of coming back to your question, like the most important part of it is that it's holistic, that it's looking at a person and treating, you know, what they're wanting to get from that treatment, that it's not, I know what's best for you and I'm going to do this sequence treatment and that's it. It's going to be tailored. So every single time we do that treatment, it should be different because no two bodies are the same. So no two treatments for those people should be the same. And I understand you're working on a treatment for people who are going through cancer treatment during and post. Tell us a little bit about that. So alongside Pegine and Ground last week, we had Christine Clinton um, who came to the spa here and 
We literally closed up shop for, for three days and we had just the most remarkable experience in terms of hands-on training, just an absolute wealth of knowledge from Christine herself, who has been working within this sector for, I think, nearly 20 years. Um, she's an Irish woman, but she's based over in the States. Um, so we were incredibly, we feel incredibly lucky and incredibly grateful to have had her here to learn from her in person. Um, so alongside that, we had all of the models that were here for the training with us were people who are either still going through cancer treatment, have gone through cancer treatment, and some of whom are looking at, you know, they're at the end of life stage now with their um, their cancer journey. So as much as we learned from Christine herself and the information she provided to us, it also provided us with, you know, um, a very safe space for the models to share their experiences with us and for us to learn from them as well. Um, because this for us is another way to make sure that we're being as inclusive as as possible that no matter who comes to the door of the spa we can do something for them that's going to not just you know a, a fluffy treatment that they can kind of relax to but something they'll actually benefit from and something that we can do that will provide relief for them or might help to improve the quality of their day-to-day -day life by simply having a treatment with us now ultimate goal is that they would have a course of those treatments but there's still relief to be got from having you know one treatment as well um so it's taking that level of customized treatments that little bit further again with the information and the knowledge and the experience that we got from that cancer care training last week uh, Peggy, you're developing this range you also have one for for menopause children's anxiety why is it really important to you that you work on something bigger than just providing what Rachel has called a, a fluffy treatment, which is nice yeah. in itself. Why are you trying to use your skills to break break boundaries as well? I think it's really important people are seen for what they're going through and understood. And the training we had with Christine um, last week, where I learned the most was I've had friends go through cancer. My father has gone through cancer and you're willing and wishing them through the treatment, how many rounds of chemo, radiation, you know, your hair is growing back, you're nearly through the hoop. And what I learned last week, and I really needed to learn this, is they're never through the hoop. They're traumatized. They've been through a, a journey with their mind and body where their anxiety, they've imagined saying goodbye to their children, which is incredibly traumatic and upsetting. And beyond the physicality of the treatment and chemo, as, as you know, is a, is a poison going into your body to kill the mutation in your body. You're, 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 you're fighting, you're at war in your body. And at the same time, your mind is trying to make sense of this and trying to, you know, the, the we're always trying to bring the mind and body together so that it can be at rest and at peace and move into a healing mode. So for us to learn from the inside out, from these brave models who came in and shared their stories with us, for us to learn how to jigsaw together the best possible treatment for them, for us to understand the anatomy and physiology, but also, most importantly, the empathy required to mind these people who need it most. It's been a wonderful experience, an emotional experience, and Rachel and I are still processing our learns, and it will live within ground, and it's something, it's possibly the work I'm most proud of. It's been a labour of love, it's been deeply humbling, which I needed to really understand it from the inside out. But when you work with people like Rachel and Tanya, um, you bond deeply because our purpose is all the same. And I think most therapists, 
we want to help, we want to alleviate and up until now we just didn't have the education and now we do. So it's a great time for us. What is it like now, Rachel, to go from discussing this in, in Peggy's kitchen during COVID to see it actually happening in the spa and people receiving those treatments? It's surreal. Um, it's an incredible feeling because it's, you know, on a, on a personal note as well, it has come full circle for me. I mean, when I was going through um, my training in college, which is like 13, 14 years ago now, um, my dad was also um, losing his battle to cancer and I would go into his hospice room and I would massage aromatherapy oils into his hands and feet. And at the time it was, you know, you're not supposed to do these things, but he had gotten to the point where he was fatal um, or he was end of life. So it was, um, we could do, we could do what we wanted at that point. But now there's so much more information available. It's after coming on leaps and bounds in terms of what was available to my dad when he was unwell, even though we knew it was giving him such great benefit for me to be able to work on his hands and feet um, and how much he said that helped him and helped him relax and, and feel at ease to now come to, we're able to do entire treatments, we're able to open our doors of the spa and bring people in and embrace them and do these beautiful treatments for them. It is beyond anything I think I would ever have even anticipated, you know, before it all happened. <laughs> A beautiful full circle moment for sure. Well, Rachel O'Malley from the Beauty Spa in Hatefield Manor and Peggy Crowley of Ground Wellbeing. Thank you so much Thank for talking you, to me. Thank you. It really was a lovely 24 hours. It was a press event and there were other beauty journalists there too. We all had dinner that evening and I just love women for going deep quickly and laughing hard. Not to say I haven't had deep and meaningful conversations with the men in my life or that that's not possible, but sometimes there's something about a group of women. And of course, I would say that because I am one. Everyone is going through something Everyone shared what was going on in their life. And as I say, we also had an absolute ball of a laugh. And one of the therapists who also joined us spoke about how so many women, when they come in for a treatment in the spa, apologise for anything and everything. And they've witnessed this in spas they've worked in for years. Apologise for not being able to shave for carrying extra weight. A lot of people have said, I'm really sorry, I'm carrying extra weight after COVID. And we all need to just take a moment and, and, and think about that and stop this. The therapist assured us that none of them are judging anybody's body. They're there to provide a service. It doesn't even enter their head about shaved legs or not shaved legs or anything like that. I hope if you're listening that you've never felt like you needed to apologise for just taking up space. For more on ground wellbeing treatments, go to hayfieldmanor.ie. Dr Sarah Murphy is a doctor working in obstetrics and gynaecology. Sarah has also amassed a huge following on Instagram where she shares easy to understand information on everything from labour to consent to polycystic ovaries. Sarah is passionate about breaking down any unnecessary taboos around women's health and she joins me in studio now. Hello Sarah. Hi Claire, thanks so much for having me on. So what made you choose obstetrics and and gynaecology? Yeah, so it's... It's a really, I think it's a really unique career. Um, so when you start in medicine, you, you try everything out and then you pick the specialty you want to go into. And I obviously went for obs and gynae. 
Um, I mean, there's the really obvious one of, you know, obstetrics is, is dealing with pregnancy and babies. And I don't know if you ever get sick of, of seeing babies being born. Um, but I think it's a specialty that really empowers women um, in both aspects. So, you know, in pregnancy for women to be, you know, you empower them to, I suppose, support a healthy lifestyle, to be well informed, to you know, have choices in how they deliver and where they deliver. Um, in gynaecology, I suppose it's, you know, all the gynaecological conditions seem to be ones we don't really talk about or really taboo. And I think when you work in it, you get really, like, comfortable with speaking to women about these conditions and getting them to speak about them. Um, and I think you really empower women. And then it's just so versatile. Um, so every day is different. You know, I go in and I might be in the operating theatre in the morning, you know, doing a cesarean section and then doing, you know, helping in a hysterectomy. And then in the evening, you're on the labour ward, seeing a baby being born. And, you know, every day is so different. Um, so it's just impossible to get bored. It's a great specialty. And is it a stereotype that women will just truck on with stuff? Or is that a reality? Do people wait months before they come to you with an issue? Yeah, absolutely. And you kind of see it, if I was to be really stereotypical and lock women into two groups so you see it in older women who I'd say just from growing up in older Ireland you know women were not listened to not heard and a lot of things to do with obviously your reproductive system are taboo so I think maybe there's a degree of embarrassment um, so they put up with it and just get on with it and then I think there's a lot of younger women who there's a lot of female conditions that don't have the recognition, I suppose, that they need and deserve. Um, I'm talking about things like endometriosis. Um, so a lot of these women then don't feel heard and put up with their symptoms or more. They go to maybe a doctor who doesn't listen to them and tells them to put up with it. So there's a lot of issues, I think, in female health. Because when it comes to the menstrual cycle, there are a lot of negatives associated with it. That's what we talk about um, the pain, Mm. the energy levels, you know, that these are symptoms we have to put up with because that's what we focus on. But that's not necessarily the case. I had a guest on a few weeks ago and I've kind of been obsessed with the whole thing ever since. Sinead Brophy, she's a personal trainer who links in with all of that Mm. now. Um, And she talks about your menstrual cycle as being your fifth vital sign Mm. that if something's wrong, it's worth getting it checked out. You shouldn't have to take to the bed for three days every month. You shouldn't have to feel it's impacting on your day-to-day life every single month. You shouldn't be doubled over agonising in pain. Yet, I think we both know women who do that on a personal as well as those that come to to sit in front of you because we just think that's what having a period is all about. Absolutely. I think with all of these things, they shouldn't impact your quality of life. Um, So, you know, having... You know, if having a period can be a bit of a nuisance um, or the odd time you might t- need to take two paracetamol on day one. And I suppose I would usually consider that fine. Um, if you can't go to work, can't go to school, can't attend events, um, you know, don't want to leave bed, need to take painkillers on the hour every time you're allowed them. That's not right. You know, one, you shouldn't have to put up with it. But two, that probably means something isn't right um, and something needs to be done about that. You mentioned endometriosis and I had that on my list there because, as you said, it's renowned for diagnostic delay. And a lot of women talk about feeling fobbed off, that they talk about this pain. And you hear this about a lot of female conditions. It can be really hard to describe pain. I say to you, I'm in pain now. How are you to tell on what scale it is? Um, 
Is it particularly difficult with endometriosis because it can't be detected easily or is there more we could do here? Yeah, I think it's, it is really difficult to diagnose. So endometriosis is a condition. So you have inside your womb, you have a lining called the endometrium and every month that sheds and that's what your period is. Endometriosis is when tissue like that is found outside the womb. So, you know, in your pelvis, on your bladder, your bowel, even some women have it in their lungs and in their chest. And every month that tissue becomes inflamed and then becomes scarred and causes loads of issues. But one of the big ones is pain. Um, It's really difficult to diagnose in the sense that, you know, there isn't an easy scan. You need someone who's really skilled in scanning to pick it up and there isn't a blood test the best, I suppose, diagnostic test is a keyhole surgery, which is obviously a really big deal. But the second is, I think, then the lack of awareness and the lack of actually listening to women. Pain is really subjective, as you said. So I think someone can come in and say, I'm in loads of pain every month and you can, it's really easy to dismiss for people to dismiss that. I think what we need to start doing is taking women at face value. So if a woman says to you, I am in debilitating pain every month, I cannot go to work, that needs to be listened to and that needs to be taken really seriously. And do you think that in those instances, the scanning and the experts scanning onto the keyhole surgery should all be looked at, at least even to eliminate endometriosis? I think absolutely. Um, And even to get the treatment for it. So endometriosis, while you know, it can interfere with your quality of life and everything. It can also then affect fertility. Um, And we're talking about young women here. So women might be having symptoms of it in their late teens into 20s. Um, And not to assume for all of them, but probably the majority do want to have a family at some stage. Without treatment, when this tissue keeps becoming scarred and everything gets sticky and stuck together, their fertility... Um, is really negatively affected. So without that early detection and early treatment, we're going to see huge rates of infertility in these women, um, which comes then with all of its own um, problems and issues as well. So, And again, it seems to be tied up with this assumption that the menstrual cycle should be painful or yeah. is always painful and this is not abnormal. And I think that's, I suppose, what women are kind of sent off with this idea of just throw two paracetamol into you. But yeah it should really be taken a bit more seriously. Exactly, and there's always, I think there's this assumption about women as well that we're dramatic or we're hysterical or we can't, you know, we're not strong, we're not able to put up with things um, and that needs, you know, we need to get rid of that. Yeah, because I'm sure you see, I, I know I have sort of postpartum for people who have had children, the stuff that women will put up with, mm-hmm. such as not being able to walk upstairs, cough or sneeze without yeah. peeing. Um, trampolines became very popular. Yeah. They seem to be out of bounds and, you know, say no to your toddler and see how you get on. And we don't get that checked and we don't talk about that. Mm-hmm. Or um, I'm trying to think of this being, you know, going out on a Sunday morning, but intimate acts being something that they they can't be fully involved in anymore, Mm -hmm. either due to pain or a drop in hormone levels. And women just say, this is just me now and this is the way I have to go on. So if anything, women are sometimes too strong and aren't empowered to speak up. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I think I'd probably get shot for saying this if it was affecting a man or a huge cohort of men I just know it would be different. I just, they wouldn't put up with it um, and people wouldn't let them put up with it. You know, I just think the way women is treated is really different to the way men are treated. Yeah. 
And I always think when it comes to gender imbalance discussion, um, when we sort of say this about men, and we do, and, you know, there was a big talk recently about the hyperemesis drug not being available on the drug payment scheme or the medical card, whereas Viagra and male pattern baldness is. And, you know, it's not a competition. All of these conditions should be looked at and taken seriously. But I suppose instead of getting angry with the imbalance and the male issues, we as women need to to stand up a little bit more and get to our GP and put ourselves first because, you know, I've had a lot of of experts in front of me. I always come back to an endocrinologist who sat in front of me once who said women come to her and they're on their knees with energy levels, low mood. And when she looks at their routine, they're working full time. Many of them are balancing families. They're doing all of the life admin in the house. They're not asking for any help in any way. And they're getting up and running at 5 a.m., you know, and then trying to go out at the weekend. We do put a hell of a lot of pressure on ourselves and don't really prioritise our true health and our true self-care. So I suppose when you talk about empowering women, it's about us speaking up, checking in with our own bodies and not being afraid to to ask for help. And I suppose the start is always your your GP. Um, And I've started to change the conversation on this show a little bit. We don't necessarily have to wait until something's wrong. If we have a niggling sensation that something isn't quite right or Mm -hmm. we don't feel like ourselves, that's enough of a of a symptom to start with a GP, isn't it? Absolutely. And I think with something like that, keeping a diary or a record is really helpful. Um, so if you can, if you feel like something's not quite right, if you can document it at the time and maybe think of, link it to some associating things. So, you know, you may be able, may be able to see, well, right in the middle of the month, this is what's happening. And um, I noticed that I'm not really sleeping quite well or my diet was off. Um, if you can then go to the GP with a three-month record to say, this is what's happening, I've noticed it's happening here, here and here, and this is what's also happening at the time. Um, it's a great way, I suppose, to get your point across and be heard, but it's also really helpful to the GP as well to, to try and get you the help that you need. Yeah, because we do forget. I always think I'll remember day one of my cycle and then... <laughs> Cut to five days later and I can't even remember what I had for I dinner last like, night. I work in the specialty, so I always assume that I'll know it all. And then whenever they go, when's your last menstrual period? I'm like, Jesus. Yeah, and I always think... <laughs> I need think, to think of an event that, or something that happened. But even on the day I do, and I'm yeah. like, I'll remember that now because yeah. that was the day we had lunch with so-and-so or that was yeah. the day. And then, yeah. no, we so forget. I, just, I start putting my calendar um, yeah, because I can't even remember. So just jot it down somewhere, yeah. bullet points, and it'll yeah. be really helpful to for yourself to see a pattern as well as exactly. something to bring to a medical professional. You have amassed a huge following on Instagram. Your handle is Dr. Sarah J. Murphy. How do you navigate between your persona in the hospital and, and, and with your patients and your online persona? I mean, are you working on a ward one day and say, that's what I'm going to talk about? Because it's about making information accessible, isn't it? And, and talking about these things. Yeah, absolutely. I suppose th- that's it. what happens. You know, I'm doing my day to day job and then something comes up. You know, it might be I'm discharging a woman and it's kind of something I wouldn't think about. If she's saying I'm really nervous to go to the toilet now to move my bowels after having the baby. And I'm like, oh, yeah, like I never really thought about that. Maybe that's something that other people are worrying about. So it's things that come up and I think it's things that affect a lot of women. It's common things that that need to be acknowledged and talked about. So that's usually kind of the way it comes about. Or someone might just DM me with a question and I'm like, oh, that's, that's, you know, something that we need to know more about that needs more awareness. 
So that's usually how the topics come up. And have you enjoyed that part of your job? Because obviously it's it's very different, I suppose, to when you were studying. You know, you probably didn't think social media was going to be part of how you would do your job. Yeah, exactly. I think sometimes social media, especially in the medical professional, can be perceived as a bit trivial, maybe. Um, but I think that's starting to change now. And actually some consultants I work with have started to um, make Instagram pages. I think it's a great way to make information accessible. Um, I personally think it's a really positive development of that we can all be involved in but I think some people probably perceive it as a bit trivial. Yeah well I mean look you're not giving personal one-on-one medical advice it's general advice that can break down stigmas build awareness and just have us talk about things a little bit more so that handle again is at Dr Sarah J Murphy obstetrician and gynaecologist Dr Sarah Murphy thank you very much for coming in. Claire McLaughlin is a rugby player and a doctor who earned her first international cap in the 2016 Women's Six Nations. Currently recovering from an injury, she works in the emergency department of Ulster Hospital and is also a pundit on BBC for the Women's Six Nations. She joins me on the line now. Hello, Claire. How are you? Hi, Claire. I'm doing really well. Thank you. How are you? I am good. You are rehabbing a long term ankle injury. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I picked up an ankle injury. It was actually a couple of years ago now and I've had two surgeries on it and yeah, I've been back and forth with my rehab, sort of almost getting back on the pitch and then having setbacks and now I'm at a good point where I'm back on the pitch. So I'm back doing rugby specific stuff um, and hoping to get back to playing rugby sometime soon. And what's that like? What's the psychological impact of that, of doing all the right stuff and being you know at a professional level and a fitness level and then injury just stopping things it's it's really challenging um and i suppose over the past couple of years there's been a lot of low points um but i guess just throughout it all you kind of have to have the goal like what do you want to get to at the end in mind um and and i suppose i've found over the past two years that I've had a big goal, but then I've also had to set lots of little goals so that I am seeing progress. Um, but yeah, it, it has been a really frustrating couple of years, especially whenever you start to see progress and then there's a setback. Um, but yeah, I suppose if if you know that you're going in the right direction overall, um, you can kind of keep going and, and, and know that I'll eventually get there. And you have been covering the TikTok Women's Six Nations as a pundit on the BBC. I mean, for a start, I think it's incredible that TikTok are the sponsors and it just shows that momentum around women's rugby at the minute. I think it's it's incredible to see how on trend it is and how inspiring and, and how much it's opening it out to the general public. And that's exactly how it should be. How have you enjoyed that experience? Yeah, I've actually loved it. Um, obviously, it's a different... Um, different way of um, enjoying the Six Nations, the Women's Six Nations. But um, yeah, I've, I've loved being involved in it. And as you say, it's been so, so good to have TikTok on board. I think it has definitely opened it up to a bigger audience. And with, I suppose, the money that's come in, the investment that's come in, the coverage that the Women's Six Nations has got with having their standalone window as well, it has been huge like I, I don't this is the first time with the Women's Six Nations where there's been such a buzz um, and so much excitement surrounding it so uh, yeah no it was great to be involved from from the media side of things and I suppose if it happens that I don't get back to playing I, I would love to keep doing a bit more of that. 
Do you ever get caught between your, your loyalties of, of judging a game objectively and then not in wanting to criticise necessarily a, a player or a performance because you know what that's like? Yeah, and I think that's something I found difficult because I feel like I'm not that long out of the game as well and quite a few of the girls who are playing I know really well and, and get on with and I'm friends with. So I, I think it is difficult trying to to find the balance, um, to not be biased and and to give sort of a neutral opinion um, of of the match. But even looking at the men's side of things and how the pundits... Um, and the commentators talk, there definitely is bias. And I think it's okay to have that. Um, I think what's what's difficult is whenever the team aren't playing well um, and you do have to, to criticise and and maybe just comment on, on what, what could be done better. Um, so I think there definitely is a way of putting it across that... Um, it can be it can be done well, um, and it can be done in a way where you're not going to be totally talking people down. Because um, at the end of the day, it is uh, it's a team sport, and um, the the girls are given what what way they want to play by the coaches. And obviously, whenever they go out there, it is about them on the pitch and their performance. So, yeah, it's it's a fine balance between having the honesty about how they're playing. And, and trying to to find the balance with um with with the whole thing. Yeah, and making good TV and being considered a a fair and objective pundit. Yeah, I imagine it's a it's a tightrope walk at times, but one that no doubt you can do very well. And you've a finger in so many pies. You've got the punditry. Obviously, you're a, an international rugby player, but you're also a qualified doctor working in um the ED department in Ulster. Yeah, so I'm I'm working in A and E in the Ulster up in Belfast. So, um, yeah, that's taken up a lot of my time over the past couple of years. Um, I suppose with with rehab and work, it's kind of that's been my life. So, yeah, it's it's been full on. Um, and I suppose over the pandemic, it's been even more hectic and stressful. And, um, I guess in A and E, you kind of expect that that is just that's just the norm every day you go in you don't know what you're gonna you're gonna see you don't know what to expect the thing you do know is that it's gonna be busy and and you're just gonna have to deal with that so um yeah I suppose I, I graduated 2016 so I've been I've been working a fair while as as a doctor and um yeah it's something that I really enjoy um I enjoy seeing a lot of different people day to day and trying to trying to help them as best I can so you obviously yeah. like highly stressful situations <laughs> and keeping yourself calm and focused on the job at hand that's obviously yeah, one of your seem, skills it would seem that way um <laughs> I suppose yeah I, I try not to get myself too uptight about anything um I guess I always think of what the worst case scenario could be and I recognize that I'm usually not in that so <laughs> um yeah like it's it's something that I think I have learned over the years. Like growing up, I would have probably hated to be on TV doing the punditry and be in really stressful scenarios. But yeah, I think through through experiences I've I've had, um, I suppose yeah, in in rugby and just in life, I've I've been able to sort of work on myself and and get myself to a point where where I do feel comfortable doing these things. So. Yeah, no, it's it's all good and it's all just part of part of life now. 
I was with a friend yesterday whose partner is a medical professional and she was talking about, you know, the hours he works and not even getting a, a drink of water, um, you know, for hours and hours on end. Um, and that just being the norm. And I was working here on the radio on the bank holiday that we gave to, to medical professionals to say thank you to, to frontline workers for everything they did during the pandemic. And we had a panel on the show and one was an A&E doctor and she was talking about the burnout that medical professionals are feeling at the moment. And the irony is that these healthcare workers are anything but healthy. They're not sleeping correctly. Mm. They're not eating correctly. They're working insane hours. And it just boggles my mind that in a in a setup like that, that there isn't even you know, somewhere for you to go and get proper rest and, 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 and eat well, that you just kind of push, 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 push and then get yourself home. Yeah, like it definitely is a, a difficult career. Um, and if you're working full time, it's it's so hard to do everything that you need to do for your own your own health and wellness. But I think it is about trying to prioritise that as well. So for for quite a few of the guys that work in the NEIM in, um, they are working less than full time. There, um, don't get me wrong. There's plenty working full time, but um, there's now the opportunity within the NHS as an A and E trainee that you can work less than full time, and that just means that you know you have time to to prep your meals, to see your friends, to go and do your gym session or your yoga or whatever you want to do to sort of wind down or um, sort of work on that stress that has, has built up over time. So I think generally generally the NHS has been very good um, in allowing people to, to try and um, work a little less in order to have a bit more of a balance but it is it definitely is a difficult career in order to do that and I know for me I've I've been working less than full-time for the past few years so since I've been playing rugby um, I worked full-time for one year but it just wasn't sustainable with with trying to that was during the World Cup year so trying to train for that and working full-time nights and weekends it just it didn't really um, work it definitely it wasn't going to be something I could keep doing. Um, and I would say at the end of that year, I definitely was burnt out from from everything. Yeah, because it's um, not balanced, so is I, it, as you say? And you yes, need that no. rest time. You need that time for joy, preparation. It is so yeah. important. But you're going to add studying into the mix. You're, you're planning on starting with GP training later yeah. in the year. <laughs> yeah, so I'm, I'm going to be starting that in August time. So... Um, yeah, that'll be a bit of a, a change to to my my week and 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 the next few months and years. Um, so yeah, that's it's something that I've I've considered doing for for a while. And I think GP training is kind of and and the the actual the goal of becoming a GP is something that I've had because it actually allows quite a lot of flexibility. So it would allow me to do a little bit of GP. Um, I could also work in a&E for a bit and I could also do a bit of sports medicine or another specialist interest and um, if there's something that I, I'm working in on the way through that I really enjoy so um, yeah I think GP is is a great career option and and for me I think it would work really well with having the flexibility um, and being able to do a few different things. And you recently had laser eye surgery at the Wellington 
eye clinic here in Dublin. So what sort of a difference did that make to your to your sight and to your life? Well, my my sight is now perfect. <laughs> so I, I would have worn glasses and contact lenses for the past 20 years. And it's always something that has been frustrating, you know, having to think about poking my eyes every morning to put contact lenses in or having to remember to have my glasses with me if you know if I'm working a long shift generally I would take my contacts out at the end of it to put the glasses on because I was wearing contacts so so much um in work in training in rugby yeah I suppose having having gone down there and got the the laser eye surgery it has honestly been life-changing like not having to to wake up in the morning and and put contacts in, not having to wear glasses and work and get them fogged up with wearing the mask and wearing the visor. It's it's honestly been so good. Just um, one thing you don't have to think about. And I know you said you're starting absolutely. to get back into to rugby based training and that with your with your ankle. Uh, but yeah. ha- have you yeah, have you played a match yet with your, your new side to see how far you can see down the pitch now? So I, I've played a couple of tag rugby matches so far. Um, I haven't got back to full rugby just yet, but yeah, like I can see everything. I, my vision is twenty twenty, and it's it's just unreal. Like whenever I played rugby, I would have been wearing the contacts, and the amount of times I got a poke in the eye or my eyes got so dry when I was playing that one of them popped out, and then you're completely your depth perception is gone. You can't see a high ball coming towards you. Like it was just, it was awful. So. I'm so excited to get back on the rugby pitch and and you know be able to see everything and not have to worry about the contact lenses. Amazing. Your your family and friends can get the cheap seats up the back now and you'll still be able to <laughs> see them and feel the support. Yeah. Well, look, you're Claire McLaughlin 2.0 in in so many yeah. ways with the study you're doing, the punditry you're doing, um, and obviously you've still got plenty more to show us on the pitch. I wish you nothing but success. Claire McLaughlin, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. Thank you. So that's it for Alive and Kicking for this week. My thanks to my producer Aidan McKelvey and Jojo Cordoza, who is on sound. And thanks as ever to you for listening. I will see you next week. Alive and Kicking with Claire McKenna, Sunday morning at 8 on News Talk.